Good morning. Again, good to be with y'all. I am Tom Hart. And uh, my family's not here because they're at our normal church, which is downtown Prez. Some of y'all know that church. And uh, man, just wanted to give a shout out to the nine and 10 year old girls basketball team for Resurrection Prez. If you were on that team, you utterly dominated us yesterday. It's like 22 to 6 or something like that. I briefly considered changing my sermon to address the need for meekness among you, but uh, no, it was, a, it was awesome. Y'all are really good. Um, and I hope that my girl Reagan, who played on that team against y'all, can learn something from the way that you were aggressive and, and uh, were awesome. So anyway, good to be with y'all. The holidays are over. They came and they went, and uh, you know, if you're like me, you've got all of the Christmas stuff in the boxes, but they haven't yet made their way back to where they live for the majority of the year. Uh, it's, it's really a terrible time of year, in my opinion. It's always been that way. I, my, my family was a big Christmas family. My mom taught preschool, four-year-old kindergarten for 40 years. And she was big into holidays. Went all out for all of them, especially Christmas. And there was one year early on in our family's life where uh, it was this time of year. My mom was doing what she does every year, which is to turn on Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers' fabulous Christmas album, A Christmas to Remember, uh, and, and blast it through the house while she takes down the ornaments off the Christmas tree and packs everything away. She was doing that one, one Christmas, and my brother, who's a little bit older than me, came in and saw what she was doing and just broke into weeping, audible sobs, and fell on the floor. And my mom quit what she was doing, and turned the volume down, went over and picked him up. And she said to him, Hank, what's wrong? And he said, well, Christmas is over. And she said, I know, I know, it's hard, but it's okay. Because Christmas is going to come back next year. And my brother said, how do you know? <laughs> and he just wasn't convinced. It, it was the, the pinnacle had already come and it was over and he didn't know how to deal with it. And I think that's a place that we, we all feel that, that lull, that low that comes after the holidays. And the passage that I'm going to read for us this morning is a passage that keys into that feeling, I think. That even in the, the midst of or, or after a, an experience that puts us on a mountaintop, there's always a valley. That life in this world, in this age, is ultimately dissatisfying. And there's something in us that knows that and that wrestles with that. We don't know what to do with it. But thankfully, God's Word tells us what to do. Gives us a way to deal with our experiences 
in this fallen and broken world. All right, so that's what I want us to get at. Uh, Keep that in mind as I read for you. This is Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 18 to 25. And I'll remind you one more time that what you're about to hear is God's word. It is absolutely true. And we're going to hear from it this morning because God loves us. And he wants us to know him. So listen up. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, we do give you thanks that your word speaks the truth. And it speaks to uh, our experience of life. Lord, it does not shy away from hard things. And in the passage that we have before us, Lord, it's putting uh, its finger. You are putting your finger on the deep and real and pressing difficulty of living in a broken world. Lord, we feel it. So often we don't know what to do with it. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a glimpse of the hope that we have in Jesus this morning. That you would lift up our minds, our hearts, our souls to see him, to hope in him, and to long for his return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are two themes in the passage, two things that the passage highlights for us. Uh, And the first one that I want us to see is that the the passage focuses on groaning. So this is our first point, the groaning. What is this groaning that the passage, that the Bible tells us about? It uses that word several times, groaning. What is that groaning? I think that what it's talking about is that thing that we feel, that experience that we have. That the life that we're living, the world we're living in, ourselves, are off. There's an offness. There's there's a brokenness. There's a twistedness in us and in the world that we, we know things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And whether you're a Christian and you have bought into the Bible being true or not, you feel that. That is a universal experience of being a person. 
is you know that there is something off in the world and in you. And when you bump up against that, when you feel it, it makes you go, it makes you groan. There are two groanings in the passage, actually. The, the, the Bible points out two types of groaning. One is our own groaning, the one that comes from us. And remember, this is speaking to Christians. The passage says that those who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that is those who have God living in them, who have received Jesus by faith and have been born again to a living hope, that Christians groan. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. We groan because we feel that we are not okay. But that's not the only groaning. The other groaning that's pointed out, and I think this is so fascinating, is the groaning of the creation, the groaning that's outside of us. It's not just us, human beings, who groan. It's the whole of creation. In verses 20 through 22, says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. If you paid attention to the Old Testament reading that we had just a little while ago, it was talking about this, that when God made the world, he made it good. Everything was good. It was very good. There was nothing off about it. But when human sin entered in, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the way that he had made them to live, a curse came into the world, a twisting came into the world that, that made everything off. So it's not just us, it's all of creation. The natural order is broken. I do Harry and Meghan illustrations whenever I can, and uh, I've got one for you today. Harry and Meghan were given an award a couple of years ago by an environmental group, and they received this award because they made public that they would by no means have more than two children because having fewer children was one of the ways that they were going to help save the world because having more children is bad for the environment. And the group that gave them this award said, having a smaller family reduces our impact on the earth and provides a better chance for all our children, their children, and future generations to flourish on a healthy planet. So this is a, an idea that's out there in the world, that what's really wrong with the world is it has people in it. And there's part of that that's true. Because what this agency has recognized, and, and, and Prince, they're still royal, right? Prince Harry and Princess Meghan, I think. What they've recognized is that there is a connection between human beings and the way that we live in the world and the brokenness that the world is, experiences. The environmental degradation that has been going on for a long time is a result of human activity. 
However, that's not the whole story. That's, that's true, that's true, and, and I'm actually going to leave that, I'm going to come back to it in a little bit. There is a link between sinful humans and environmental decay, but that's not all there is to it. When does this groaning occur? It occurs throughout the whole age. Verse 22 makes this very clear. It says the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And that until now continues right up until today, 2024 now. The world is groaning and we are groaning. And it's not going to stop in this age. I think that's important because we tell ourselves in various ways, that we are right on the cusp of a groan-free life. That when we can get over that, that hump, that barrier, that thing that's keeping us from being our best selves, when we can get over it, then the groaning is going to stop. And we, we, we view all sorts of things as being those barriers. You know, if we could just get into that house that we want to buy, but interest rates are crazy, if we could just get in there and have a little space and have a place of our own and we could have people over and everything will be great, then our groaning will stop. Or if we could just get the promotion or the raise that's going to give us the income that will make the lifestyle that we want sustainable, then we wouldn't have to groan anymore. Or if we could just get into the college. Or if we could just have the baby. Then the groaning would stop. We tell ourselves this, but it's not true. The house, the job, the financial bracket, the family, the spouse will not stop the groaning. Groaning is an immovable part of life in this world. C.S. Lewis said, if a trans-temporal, trans-finite good is our real destiny, then any other good on which our desire fixes must be in some degree fallacious. We, it must bear at best only a symbolical relation to what will truly satisfy. The best things that we can have and experience are symbolically related to what our hearts truly desire. So what is that? What are we longing for? If nothing that we can experience or attain or achieve in this life will give us what we truly want, what are we longing for? What are we groaning for? And that's the second point, the second thing that this passage points out is glory. 
what we long for, what we actually desire in our soul, what our soul groans for, and even what creation, the whole world, what it's groaning for is glory. What's glory? Glory is, it comes from an Old Testament idea. We're reading from the New Testament, which are parts of the Bible, books in the Bible that were written after Jesus was born. But glory, this, this, this idea of glory came way back in the Old Testament, which was written long before Jesus came, thousands of years ago. And I have like three Hebrew words that I use uh, with students. And the word for glory is one of them, because I love it. The word for glory in the Old Testament is kavod. And what that word means is heavy. So when the Bible talks about God having glory, it's conveying this image that God is weighty. He's heavy. It's like if you ever picked up a gold bar or gold coin, you you can feel that it's substantive. I mean, it's, it's heavy. It matters. And of course, the, the, the Old Testament writers did not have this on their mind at all, but I just think it's so cool, and I do think that it relates. It's like what we know now about how physics work. The heaviest thing in the universe, the heaviest thing in, in our galaxy or in our solar system is what everything else rotates around. And the Bible says that God is the most glorious thing, that he has this glory that emanates from him because he's so heavy. He's so substantial. He's so real. And what we were made for and this world was made for was to experience and express that glory from God. And anything less than that leaves us groaning. But that glory is promised to us. It's promised to us. It says in verse 18, I love this verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory that awaits us. Our sufferings are real. That groaning is a real experience. But it is not worth comparing to the experience that we will have of being brought into the glory of Jesus when He returns. I think we can... we can think that like at the end of everything that when, when we finally see what life was all about, when God brings the world to an end and we're with Him, that everything's going to make sense. You know, you may have heard when you've experienced tragedy or maybe you've even said to someone who's experienced something horribly traumatic. Well, it's, you know, when at the end, when, when we see everything you're going to see how, how this, this terrible thing brought so much good into the world and it'll all make sense. 
And there's, there's something true about that. There's, there's truth in that. But the Bible actually tells us that it's way more than that. That the glory that will be revealed when Jesus returns at the end of time, the glory is not even worth comparing. It's a contrast. Our suffering is bad, but it's not balanced out by what we're going to see when Jesus returns. It's, it's exploded. It's, we can't even fathom it. How much better the glory of Jesus will be. I, I've struggled to come up with an illustration that gets at this, but this is the best I've got, all right? Maybe you've seen these videos on, on the internet. There's a whole genre of videos. And if you were planning this for your children this spring, I apologize. I'm going to burst the bubble for them. There's a whole genre of videos where people get their kids in the car and they tell them, we're going to the dentist. Get ready. They're going to drill on your teeth. It's going to be terrible. And the kids are all like, oh, I hate the dentist. And they start driving and they drive up to the dentist's office. And when they get there, instead of getting out and going in, they pull out Mickey Mouse ears and hand them to everybody. And they're like, just kidding, we're going to Disney World. And they, just, and they have the bags packed in the car and the kids didn't know. And then they drive to Orlando. And it's like, how much better is Disney World than getting your teeth drilled at the dentist's office? Way better. I mean, in some ways, it's not even worth comparing. But what Paul, what Paul, who wrote this letter, is trying to get us to see is that the glory that awaits you if you are in Christ is not worth comparing to the sufferings, to the groanings that you are going through now. The Bible struggles to give us a picture of this glory. If you've ever read Revelation 21, one of the last chapters in the Bible, it's trying to give us a picture of what it's going to be like. And the Apostle John, who wrote those words, was struggling to describe it. He, he talks about how everything is going to be made out of gold when Jesus returns. It's like he's going to, he's going to fix He's going to change everything. It's everything's going to, it's whole city, the whole world is going to be made out of gold and it's going to be clear as glass. And there are going to be jewels covering all of it. And the gates of the city that God brings to the earth are going to be made out of a single pearl. And he gives these images and it's like, man, what is that going to look like? I have no idea, but it sounds awesome. It's unimaginable. The glory that awaits us. It's unimaginable. I think we're scared to dwell on this. Could just be me. But our society certainly, and Presbyterians, if you're a part of that tribe, uh, love things that are logical. We're a very heady branch of Christianity. And we like things that make sense. We dwell a lot on sin and forgiveness and the transaction that Jesus brought when he died on the cross for us. And that's good. That's, that's very important. But I think it makes us a little uncomfortable. And again, I don't want to speak for you. It make, I'll just tell you, it makes me a little uncomfortable to try to imagine the glory that awaits me. There's something in me that's like, ooh, I don't want to... It's like, 
that feels, I don't know, feels weird. We want to read passages like this as drawing my attention and my imagination to the future glory that awaits us. I think that it's, it's inviting us and encouraging us. We need to develop our heavenly imagination. We need to hear it. We need to dwell on it. We need to, we need to think about the fact that at the end of everything, after all the suffering and all the groaning is done, that glory awaits us. Glory that we cannot wrap our heads around. It is going to be so good. When will it happen? As I I said, and I want to be clear on this, groaning is an inevitable part of life in this present age, but it is not forever. Groaning has an end date. Your suffering, which is real and intense, will stop. It will stop at the resurrection that Jesus brings. It tells us that. You've got to see it in the passage. And not only the creation, this is verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies, that's going to happen when Jesus returns bodily himself to the earth and we get up from the dead, if we're dead by then. We might not be. You can read about that, 1 Corinthians 15. When Jesus returns and we get up from the dead, groaning will end. The Bible says that this, this, this age will end. And the new age will come. And everything will be made right. When that happens, when this age ends... And the glory of God comes and renews the earth. Everything will be right. Not just me and not just you. Although that's true, you will be made new and you will be made right. There will be nothing off with you if you are in Jesus when he returns. You will be completely healed. Your physical ailments your mental health struggles that you don't know what you're going to do with. Your sin that clings close to you will be wiped away and you will be utterly renewed. But not only that, the world that we live in will be healed. That's what it tells us in verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. If global warming terrifies you, and I'll be honest, it does me, we have hope that when Jesus returns, 
And all of his people who are united to him by faith get up from the dead. Global warming will no longer be a threat. Microplastics will be wiped out. Y'all, I don't know if that means that when Jesus comes back, we're going to figure out how to fix those things. We're going to create some big net we can drag across the Pacific Ocean and clean up all the plastic or some genetically produced organism that we can dump into the ocean and it'll eat all the plastic and then the fish will eat it and everything will flourish. I don't know. I don't know. But the promise of Scripture is that we are going to be fixed and the world is going to be fixed and it is going to be awesome. I've never had a baby because I'm a man. Uh, many of you have never had a baby because you're a man or it's not time for you to have children yet or maybe you have wanted children and been unable to have one because of singleness or something that is wrong in your body which could be the biggest cause of groaning in your life. Uh, which, and that hurts. Uh, my wife has had four children. And uh, you know, not to get off on a tangent, but she did the whole unmedicated birth thing. Four children, not even a Tylenol. And I've talked to her about that over the years. And, you know, a guy always wants to know, like, how bad does it hurt? And she's like, it really hurts. And it hurts for a long time. And it just keeps getting worse. But you breathe through it, and then all of a sudden, it's over. And you have a baby. And the doctor hands you that baby and you get to hold it and watch him or her take their first breath. And then all of that pain, all of that suffering, you don't remember anymore. It's just, it's gone. And what you see is this gift that God has given you and you rejoice. I think that is as good a metaphor as we're going to get. The suffering of this world. The suffering, the groaning that you are experiencing even as you sit here this morning. And the suffering and the groaning that awaits you this week is not worth comparing to the glory that will come. One day, very soon, your groaning will cease. And you will see Jesus. And he is going to make you all right. And he's going to heal the whole world. I would invite you to believe into him. And this will be true for you. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great thanks that you uh, have made us these promises. That you have not left us groaning without hope. Lord, we do groan, but we groan with hope that you are making all things new. Lord, give us that imagination to picture how good it will be to see you and to live without our sin, 
without our sicknesses, without our brokenness, without the brokenness of this world, in glory forever. Lift us up that we might take hold of this vision and live like it really does await us. In Jesus' name, amen.